Welcome to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Roxy are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been, including a motel owner with a secret, a clown with a knife, a videotape with a ringu, and a house with 1,000 corpses. I'm one of your hosts, Mikey McCaller. And I'm Roxy Polk, and uh, there is just an entire house, the house of a thousand corpses in here. It's like over there in some separate It's a bizarre space. thing to open a door, walk into a room, and it be a big enough room that there's just another house in it. And that house itself is big enough for 1,000 corpses. Yep. Uh, and then Rob Zombie, I, I wish he was there so he could explain himself, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure he's in another room down here somewhere. I do also appreciate that he uh, took the time to uh, tag each corpse, one, two, three, and that's how you know there are exactly 1,000 corpses. <laughs> Someday we're going to have to count them all to make sure they didn't escape, but uh, that's not today. No, no, no. That's a, that's a job for future Mikey and Roxy. A job for present Mikey and Roxy is to start out, as we always do, with the description of the scariest thing we saw this week. Roxy, what went down in your life outside the scary basement that spooked you right down to your bones? This thing happened like a couple hours before we were supposed to record this podcast, so it's very fresh, and I wish I didn't have to keep talking about my computer and technological woes, but just, they keep happening. I think I'm cursed. I've got some sort of tech techno curse. My computer, my main one, decided that it doesn't recognize not only its own internal head uh, speaker and microphone, but anything I plug into it, it also doesn't understand it. Hmm. We're completely fine yesterday. Absolutely no explanation as to why this happened. So right now, coming to you guys and Mikey, I'm on my old computer that is like, if I close it, it will probably fall apart and never work again. So <laughs> it's very precarious, but it's working. So I guess that A real uh, good. duct tape and bubblegum situation going on with your computer. Uh, Roxy, I know you said you don't know what's going on with your computer. Would it uh, shock you to hear that I actually do know? Do you? Or at least okay. Have a strong inkling. Uh, it was last week in the scary basement when I saw one of the many old crones who live down here. Oh no! And kind of, kind of casting her her old crone walking stick about, leaving some sort of air air distortion. Uh-huh. And when I asked, I said, "Hey, old crone, what are you doing?" She opened her mouth, and what came out were the dial up sounds from a fifty six k modem. Oh no. And so I was like, oh, got it. This is a, an old technochrone. And uh, I do think you spent most of the episode last week within that air distortion field left by the technochrone. So I suspect, oh, I suspect, God. if I had to guess, that's what's going on with your computer. I'm so used to the air just being musty or fucking weird down here that I didn't, I should have been more mm-hmm. aware. But I was like, oh, that's just normal. That's just normal old scary basement stank. But uh, nope. Okay. Old Crone got me again. <laughs> we got to start doing an air scan before we come down here. Yeah, I got to get some sort of gas mask. I'll tell you the scariest thing that happened to me. What? Roxy, I went to Starbucks before we came down to the scary basement. I went up to the counter. Usually I order on the app, but I didn't have money on the app. Uh, mm-hmm. They wanted me to log in. Couldn't remember. Who remembers their password to the Starbucks app? So I, I went up to the counter. I hate that when you're standing in line, too, when there's, like, five people behind you and you're like, oh, my God, just the social pressure. Being right. like, hey, I just want to be done and gone. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're adding money. I don't know how to do any of this. <laughs> I was going to pay for ca- pay in cash. Didn't have any cash. Unfortunately, the barista at the counter was Bounty Hunter Creighton Duke. Oh, and no. And you could tell 
because his name tag his name tag attached to his little apron did say bounty hunter creighton duke (laughs) gotta make sure you know he's just slumming it being a uh, barista instead of a bounty (laughs) hunter a different b job wants to make sure you know i did i did to get my coffee i did have to pay the cost he did break two of my fingers (gasps) and i got a triple soy latte so does that mean, okay, your whole hand is bandaged up? So was it like each yeah. shot was a broken finger? You're right. Yeah, it was two fingers for the coffee. And then because I got an extra shot, it was a third finger, which I think is a little expensive. But, you know, Starbucks sets the rules. That is also, wow, he's setting a whole new payment system up over there. I wonder if Starbucks HQ knows that that's how he's taking payment for their products. I do feel like when... When the store manager sits down with Bounty Hunter Creighton Duke, uh, they're like, you know, unfortunately, we can't pay that way. That is going to have to count as your shift drink (laughs) that you gave to a customer. Unbelievable. What is with that guy and his fascination with breaking people's fingers? What does he get? What satisfaction does he get out of that? It is. I don't know if I want to know. I don't know if that's a conversation for here or later. One of the wildest things in a movie we just watched, the movie assigned to us, of course, by the demon bot, who stalks up to both of us now, stomping, lumbering. Demon bot, you're not possessed by anything right now, are you? No, I'm not possessed. I mean, technically I am because I am a demon possessing this body of a robot butler, but no, I just have a hangover. This week you were assigned the 1993 film Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. Did you watch the film? Roxy, I did watch Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. Did you? Yes, I did. I rented it off of YouTube for actual (laughs) human dollars for some reason. But yes, I watched it. Then for the cost of a video rental, you have saved your souls. For now. Okay, pretty cheap cost, I guess, when you put it that way. Roxy... We did watch Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday, but just in case anybody is listening up at the cellar door who has not seen Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday, even though it ran on TNT countless times from (laughs) 1994 to, I would venture, 2018. Well, let's give a recap of the overall plot. Sounds good. All right. The movie opens with a young woman driving up to Camp Crystal Lake. She quickly takes off her clothes to hop in the shower, and then she is, of course, attacked by Jason Voorhees, as we all knew she would. This time, however, she also knew Jason would show his hockey mask-clad face, and we learn that this woman is an FBI agent, and this whole thing is a trap to lure Jason out into the open. About a thousand FBI guys swarm Jason, shooting him full of bullets and blowing him to smithereens. It looks like the threat is defeated, and yet, bounty hunter Creighton Duke watches from afar, theoretically on his break from Starbucks, and whispers to himself regarding Jason's supposed demise, I don't think so. At the morgue, a coroner performs an autopsy on Jason's blown-apart body, even saying, In my professional opinion, this guy's deader than shit! gives you exactly the kind of tone we're going to get for this whole movie. <laughs> that opinion does not hold for long, though, as the coroner comes across Jason's still-beating heart and, having clearly missed lunch, devours it whole. He then murders his mortuary assistant and the two guards before tromping off into the forest, presumably back towards Camp Crystal Lake. In a news magazine-style show, we meet reporter Robert Campbell, who sits down with Crichton Duke to discuss the new Jason-like murders. Duke tells Campbell that no one 
but he himself knows how to kill Jason, and that he, Creighton Duke, will do it for a price. And that price is $500,000, which honestly seems like a bargain. That FBI raid to get Jason had to have been more than that just based on overtime. I know, even like in 1993 when this was shot, like he could have asked for a million dollars. I feel like he should have. 500000 felt comically low. <laughs> and then think about like the taxes you've got to pay on that. I don't know. Ask yeah. for more. Go high, buddy. He should have been like a million untaxable dollars from the U.S. government, please. <laughs> Say a million three. And <laughs> yeah. then just know that go. the three is going to taxes. There you go. Uh, we then meet Diana, who will come to learn is actually Diana Voorhees. This movie is so bad at introducing characters. Uh-huh. And it starts here. And Steve, who is a weird little guy with big round glasses and a cowardly demeanor. Steve wants to patch things up with Jessica, his ex, and Diana's daughter. And he hasn't even seen the baby he had with Jessica, apparently. Unclear if he <laughs> even know- knew she was having a baby until hmm. just this scene. I could not tell. Steve takes a drive and gives three hitchhiking teens a ride to Camp Crystal Lake, where they are planning to celebrate the blowing up of Jason by smoking dope and fucking in his home. Steve almost goes along with the teens, but decides not to. At the camp, Jason, still in the form of the coroner, kills all three teens. Later, coroner Jason does a very un-Jason-like thing and captures a cop, shaves his mustache... And spits himself into the cop's mouth, thus transferring the Jason soul into the cop's body. This cop Jason then lumbers over to Diana's house to kill her. And while Diana fights him off, seeing Jason's original hockey mask form in the mirror reflection in the process, she eventually is killed by a knife to the back, right as Steve arrives. He thinks he kills cop Jason, so when the non-Jason cops arrive, Steve believes he's in the clear, but nope, cop Jason has escaped, leaving nothing behind but a broken window. And Steve is arrested for Diana's murder. In jail, Steve meets bounty hunter Creighton Duke, who has his own little information economy set up. He tells Steve a piece of information that will ultimately help both of them in exchange for the opportunity to break one of Steve's fingers. Here, Steve learns about the Voorhees family legacy of Diana, and therefore his ex Jessica and baby daughter. Jason can only be reborn by possessing a Voorhees, and he can only be killed if a Voorhees destroys his heart. Armed now with this info, Steve breaks out of jail and goes to the Voorhees house in order to find Voorhees proof to convince Jessica to take up the Jason-killing cause. At the Voorhees' house, Steve not only finds the Evil Dead's Necronomicon, like the legit prop, not even a recreation, (laughs) Uh, But also overhears Jessica's new boyfriend, TV reporter Robert Campbell, talking on the phone to his producers. He laughs about stealing Diana's dead body and then hiding it in the Voorhees house to set up some sort of rating buzz with his interview. (laughs) And then he gleefully gloats about how after he did this body snatching, he fucked the daughter of the dead woman. Super stand-up guy. They want to make sure you absolutely hate this dude. (laughs) (laughs) here right as steve is jump scared by diana's body campbell is attacked by cop jason and the jason soul is passed on creating reporter jason the cop who used to be cop jason then melts into the floor dying in about as horrible a way as i can imagine it would make cronenberg proud i guess it's very gooey it was gross (laughs) and upsetting his jaw like tumbles Uh uh-huh Steve runs over reporter Jason in front of Jessica, which is not a great way to win back a girl, making you think you murdered her new guy. 
But Jessica flees, goes to the cops, tells them where Steve is, and gets her ex-boyfriend and also baby daddy arrested. At the police station, reporter Jason returns and almost possesses Jessica. Steve, though, arrives to the station just in time to save her. Jessica and Steve go to the diner, where Jessica has left her baby with her waitress friend. Unfortunately, the baby's gone, taken by Creighton Duke himself to the Voorhees house as bait. His note tells <laughs> Jessica to come alone, so when reporter Jason attacks, killing the entirety of the diner staff, she drives off, leaving Steve behind. At the Voorhees house, once again, bounty hunter Creighton Duke not only gives Jessica back her baby, but also gives her an intricate knife, which she can use to stab Jason in the heart and kill him once and for all. Then, bounty hunter Creighton Duke falls through the floor. A lot of people fall through the floor in this house. Yeah, multiple times. It's not just once. <laughs> uh, he falls through the floor right as two cops enter. Either one of them could be the new cop, Jason, but which one is it? Turns out it's just one of them. The new cop Jason attacks. Steve shows up <laughs> to defend Jessica and cuts off the head of new cop Jason. A little Jason bug thing crawls out of the neck stump and finds Diana's corpse and then is reborn as the hockey mask Jason we all know and love. Steve and Jason go mano e mano for a beat before Jessica finds that intricate knife and pierces Jason's heart. This causes a bunch of hands to rise up from the ground and pull Jason down to hell, presumably killing him for good. As Steve and Jessica, and I don't think the baby, <laughs> walk off into the sunset, Jason's mask is seen lying there in the dirt. I think they're supposed to be carrying the baby, but I don't think there's a connective scene where we see them go pick it up, so... Who knows? I was thinking that, too. It was, like, the way their silhouettes, like, we're just seeing silhouettes walking into yeah. the sunset, and their body is kind of turned, so they might be carrying the baby, yeah. but you can't tell. <laughs> Truly. And there's no baby noise or anything, so who knows? <laughs> then, as the stinger scene comes up after our heroes walk into the sunset, Freddy Krueger's knife hand pops out of the ground and steals the hockey mask that was left behind. Oh, man, what are these two chuckleheads going to get up to together? <laughs> Who knows? Because that's the end of the movie. That's the end of Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday. Roxy, were you excited to see Freddy Krueger's hand at the end? Um, I was surprised because I didn't think that they had the rights to do that. And also, it took so long for the Freddy vs. Jason movie to come out. Mm. It was like 10 years after this that they finally got Freddy vs. Jason out. Yeah, because this movie was in 93. Um, I yeah. don't know the time stamp when the other one came out, but yeah, it was like That was 2003. Oh, it was just a 2000. Okay, mm -hmm. but still, yeah. Wow, okay. In between there, we did get, in 2001, a Jason Odyssey. We got a Jason X. Yes. Oh my god, Jason X. <laughs> I kind of wish we movies. had been uh, watching Jason X instead of this movie, but we'll, we'll get to we it someday. someday. Um, and I think also was New Nightmare. New Nightmare was uh, sometime in between as well. I can't remember the release date. Oh, was it? Hmm, I think I so. Because I think that, I think I remember hearing somewhere that that's one of the reasons why also like uh, Freddy was up to doing something. So they couldn't use Freddy either. And then also there's just like mm. that lawsuit going back and forth between the Friday the 13th Jason creators nonsense. Oh, well, because, okay, so here's what was something, a little bit of trivia I found out about this movie, The Final okay. Friday. This was the first movie since New Line bought the rights to Jason. So okay. they get this new 
character, this new toy to play with. So first of all, it's Jason and Freddy in the same place. I, I don't know. It just feels so bizarre to me to say our very first Friday the 13th movie is going to be the final Friday. <laughs> like, yeah. Why go in the ending direction when it's your new property? Also, why set up for a sequel in the final Friday? Like, just call it another Friday. Like, you know what I mean? Call it Friday the 13th 9, Jason Goes to Hell. <laughs> like, just do it. Friday the 13th, the final Friday, Jason Goes to Hell. I don't think there's actually a fi- Friday the 13th in there. I think it might just be Jason Going to Hell. Yeah, I think for copyright reasons, they couldn't say Friday the 13th. So that's why it had to be bizarre. Uh, phrase the way it is i guess but <laughs> i was anticipating we'd actually get visions of hell or some sort of hell we never see imagery. hell do we no there's like some hands at the end that look kind of like muppets that drag him <laughs> into sand yeah fucking super mario brothers three ass hands <laughs> you remember when you've got those three little levels that you can either scoot by and sometimes a hand comes up and grabs mario and pulls him into the level that's what jason had that's what jason had to deal with yeah it's it's really disappointing for a movie that promised hell in the title. We got, there was yeah. no hell to be seen, um, which I'm bummed out by. It's also we not the Final Friday. Hell. Final Friday of any. What does it even mean? Final Friday the 13th? Final Friday ever? Final They've all, whatever? All the, all the Jason movies have released on a Wednesday since this movie came out. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's they, and it's canon that they have to because there's no more canonical Friday. Uh, Roxy, I would say we could, we would do best to start from the top of this movie because there's a lot to, to chew on. Oh God. Yeah. The very beginning of this movie is one of my favorite scenes in a movie. Just like, okay, we, we get our canonical, our basic Friday the 13th ass scene. It's a cute girl. She goes to camp Crystal Lake. Spooky things are kind of happening. Like the, the power's going out. She gets naked. We get to see her boobs and then she gets to fight Jason. Like that is the clear Friday the 13th scene. But this one, it's like, we see her going up to Camp Crystal Lake. We know what's going to happen. The creators and writers and directors of this movie know that we know what's going to happen. And for the first time, the the characters in the scene know what's going to happen. It's like we're all in on the joke. We are all getting there and uh, together and laughing about it. And we know what's going to happen. And it's all a plan. It's very funny to me. I appreciate this subversion. So, like, it did start out with a strong concept because it's like, yeah, why is it always just up to random people who happen to encounter Jason? <laughs> like, they would have, there's people who got murdered as a result of the things he did. There would be some sort of police involvement, let alone, like, a tactical FBI hunt squad <laughs> or something, which makes sense, honestly. Like, that. that is yeah. what they should be doing to fight him. But then after that, they're just like, Oh, this supernatural killer who keeps coming back to life. Eh, he's done now that we blew right. him up. Um, because, you know, it, him coming back from the grave and all this stuff, that makes sense. They just sent him to a regular morgue also. <laughs> like, you'd think it would be some sort of high-tech thing where they would want to study how he comes back to life. Like, oh, you'd sure. think there would be scientists interested in this, but no, they're just no. going to send him to a regular coroner who... Well, even before we get to the coroners, we get this introduction of Bounty Hunter Creighton Duke. Mm-hmm. Which I really thought was a, a cowardly move on the screenwriter's part. It In almost seemed that they didn't want the audience to think that Jason was actually dead. So they literally have a character watching Jason's body parts be picked up and he says, I don't think so. And it's like, okay, don't worry. The movie's not over. 
Yeah, it's shown like two minutes later. Like, what, are people going to walk out of the theater because they couldn't wait five minutes to see what was going to happen? Exactly. I think that was a fear. They were like, well, got our movie. I think a lot of just scenes in this movie just kind of happen. We don't know who Duke is. He's not introduced at all until like a scene later. This movie has an allergy to introducing Mm. characters in a sensical way that we can track. Right. And Duke probably gets the most kind of an intro later because there is literally someone interviewing him so he has to and we're like Mm -hmm. he has a very weird delivery and he's a very strange character uh kind of feels like a cartoon character i'm actually uh, researching it right now because i don't know it seems like he's a character from a previous movie is he like i assume maybe he was but i don't actually know is he uh it looks like he just appeared in this movie Okay, yeah. So, like, it does have that feeling that, like, you're... The screenwriters expect you to know who he is, so they don't explain right. it. Every single character that is introduced feels that way. Like, you're supposed to know who this is. Like, why don't you know why this waitress <laughs> lady is important? Um, And right. you're like, what? I don't get it. Even when the bounty hunter guy is, like, talking to her, who is supposed to be the long-lost uh, daughter of Pamela Voorhees, so she's Jason's... Right biological sister who was given up for adoption and was raised separately and the only reason why i know that is because i looked up information about this movie afterwards this movie does not Mm. tell you that it just tells you that she is somehow jason's sister and you don't know why or how um Mm. but you don't even know that until not only the bounty hunter leaves i can't even remember when (laughs) they actually confirm that she is the long lost relative of Jason. Yeah, Bounty at some Hunter point guy that is information saying, like, is conveyed. Yeah, but uh, he, he doesn't even do it in that scene. He's like, hey, I need your help. You're the only one who can stop him. And you're like, how? Right. Wait, why? Who? Who is she? And what What are the stakes or rules I you're setting up? I don't understand. I don't mind them kind of like hinting that this character who we're just and meeting. And she's just mad and shakes him off and leaves before he can say anything. Hmm. I think her like cop boyfriend shows up. Yeah, I don't mind this idea that she's like, It's being hinted at that she's special. Like, I I like that setup, but there's never a moment where we never see Jessica's reaction, really, to being told she's a Voorhees. We never really get Diana's reaction to being told she's a Voorhees. Like, she kind of knows, I guess, but she's, like, trying to keep it secret, which kind of makes sense. I don't mind that necessarily, but there is never a moment when it's like, this is the scene where the audience knows. And they do it by saying, you're a Voorhees, aren't you? And she goes, you can't tell anybody that. And then we kind of know, okay, that's her take on it. Like, do these things from a characterful place. Do these things. She should have a reaction to being a Voorhees. He should have some sort of, like, uh, uh, reason for telling her. And, like, I guess he does. She tells tells the ex-boyfriend, who is, like, our nerdy main character. Sure. Who is also just so weird. Like, I think they wanted him to be, shoot, what's the name of the character who is sort of Jason's nemesis, who's just like a human guy? Wow. Uh, I'm blanking on it completely. I'm sure everyone there who loves these movie series are like, how can you not remember that guy's name? But they didn't have, like, the rights to use him. So he's just like Steve or whatever the hell his name is. Okay. I didn't know Jason had a nemesis. Yeah, it's like he's a little kid in one of the movies, then he grows up to be like oh, right. an adult. Yes, Tommy. Um, Tommy, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So like they wanted to use him, but it, because of the way the rights worked out, they didn't have access to him, hmm. so they couldn't use him. 
so he's just like some guy who doesn't even know that like his ex-girlfriend had his baby as far as i can tell i don't know he seems surprised to know he even has a kid yeah. Uh, we don't know why they fell out. Like, maybe he's a piece of shit or something. It's kind of implied well, that he, like, wouldn't... Yeah, I guess he is a coward. It's implied that he, he wouldn't away. be there for her. Mm-hmm. I thought they were going to set up this idea that Tommy, the little boy... Because there's, like, this whole movie where Tommy kind of becomes the new Jason. And that the idea that this... The idea that Jason could possess other people and become other people had been kind of set up through Tommy. But then... Uh, that is not it. <laughs> that is yeah. not what they're doing. And uh, there is one movie where Tommy's kind of Jason. But then in the next movie, they just like bring Jason back from the grave or something. <sighs> Roxy, can I talk to you about my big grand theory that like there are two or three hints to this idea in this movie that I think would have been the coolest, most interesting idea and kind of becoming what I would want my take on Friday the 13th to be? Sure. What is it? I want to hear it. Okay. We have two moments in this movie. Where people convey this idea that they're like, you know what, fuck Jason Voorhees. Um, and we get it in, when the mortuary assistant is like, dude, how many people in the world get the chance to say whatever they want to Jason Voorhees? Fuck you, you blown up, fucked up motherfucker. Like, he kind of, like, has this little bit that he wants to, like, get it out. And mm-hmm. then we also have these teenagers who hitchhike with Steve and go to Camp Crystal Lake seemingly... There's no other reason to go to this place other than the fact that now that it's free of Jason, they can kind of thumb their nose at Jason. And I was like, why do they have so much anger towards him? Like, what are they trying to get out of Mm -hmm. this by, like, sticking it to him? And I tried to think of figures in the real world who are kind of like this. And I'll tell you who I thought of. In this universe, Jason Voorhees is kind of an Osama Bin Laden type figure. (laughs) In that, like... When Osama Bin Laden was killed, like, people were like, fuck yeah, we got him. Like, yeah, fuck that guy. Like, maybe we don't even have a funeral for him. Maybe we just uh, tie him up in the town square. Like, and what it made me realize was that there's sort of this collective trauma that the world has gone through with Jason in these movies to where they're angry at him for harming them in in the same way that Osama bin Laden harmed America. Like, we get these tastes of this, like, vitriol towards him. And it's kind of what they end up doing, now that literally I'm realizing this in the moment, it's kind of what they start doing in Halloween Kills. This idea that a, a murderer's rampage has left this scar on them. But there's well, no especially other because reason. they're like unprovoked attacks. Even with yes. the first movie, uh it's just the mom deciding to kill every teen who is mm-hmm. in that situation that the kids who killed her teen were in. Like I don't even think she killed the ones who killed him. I don't know. But yeah, like all of these attacks are unprovoked. They're just kids being dumb in the woods or whatever. Right. They're not they're honestly not hurting anybody. <laughs> they're just doing whatever and- they're doing. It's so scary to the people who are, like, watching this and taking this in, right? So it made me start wondering, like, these three hitchhikers, did they maybe lose somebody to Jason? Like, did they have a family member or know somebody who, Mm. like, would make them angry enough to be like, we got to stick it to this guy? Yeah, we're just talking about theoretically, correct? (laughs) Yes, yeah, I'm just saying, like, I'm just throwing this out there. Yeah, because the text doesn't give us anything on these kids at all. But, like, the mortuary assistant, like, think about him being in, you know, 10th grade, like I was during 9-11 and seeing this news report on Jason and just being so afraid that Jason was going to come get you. Like, of course you'd be like, oh yeah, I've got this fucking dead body in my mortuary and I'm stoked about it. How cool is it though that Jason becomes, it's, first of all, 
it's a if this is what's going on, which is it's really me saying trying to explain these two incoherent moments of the movie. And so therefore it's very funny when they're like the news reporter Robert Campbell is like, We'll pay bounty hunter Creighton Duke's five hundred thousand bounty if he kills Jason and brings us proof of Jason's existence. Like it seems like Jason exists in this world enough to the point where the FBI is running big stings. Like we're yeah. we're past the point of him being a man. He is real. I'm kind of surprised they didn't run with that to be like there's a camera crew following Duke. Like how much more interesting would that have been if they were maybe gonna do that? Because we get like Hints with the shitty boyfriend that the daughter has, who is mm-hmm. just, like, absolutely reprehensible from the get-go. Like, he right. doesn't really have any dialogue in any scenes until he is in that scene by himself where he's an absolute cretin. Mm-hmm. Having stolen off-screen Pamela's body, uh, the <laughs> dead mother of the girl he is dating, and then flaunting about Diana's how he... Diana's body. Diana, Yeah. Pamela is the other mother from the series. Oh, sorry. All these fucking names. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, just like showing that he's a reprehensible character. So then when he dies, you're like, yeah, I'm glad he got killed. And he runs Mm -hmm. around and gets shot up quite a bit before he uh, transfers the Jason slug. (laughs) (laughs) And that's also that same scene where we have the uh, absolute goo monster that the cop turns into. Um, so Very one thing cool. I do want to ask, Mikey, did you watch the theatrical or the uncut version of this movie? I have no idea. I watched whatever was on Amazon Prime. I wa- I would suspect it was theatrical. I didn't know there was two versions until recently either, so I also watched mm. the theatrical version. Okay. Which the unrated one has, like, very much extended gore scenes. I didn't even realize, like, how much they had kind of, like, cut until I was sort of mm. looking into it. And way less nudity as well. What? So, so like, this scene where the cop is turning into goo, I think that was okay to get past whatever, like, rating system they were able to sneak it past. So that scene mm-hmm. was, like, very long with him turning into goop. I couldn't believe how it just kept going and kept going. <laughs> it was very long. Yeah. And I don't know. It was just, like, really upsetting. Like, one of my great fears is I feel like I saw it in a movie, at, like, a war movie, maybe, where somebody's blown apart and they see that their body is cut in half, and they're like, see their entrails. And I also remember South Park parodying this, where somebody's like, kind of playing with their own entrails. <laughs> the idea that you're cognizant as you are dying in this horrifying way is really upsetting to me. And this yeah. poor cop, man, this was upsetting business. Yeah, I mean, the effects look very good. It's part of why they are so upsetting. And I think all, all of these are all practical effects this was like in 93 Mm. it would have been a lot more noticeable if they were doing cgi or something yeah um and i don't think anything was really miniatures i heard that the end scene where jason is getting pulled down to hell was supposed to be like with miniatures but they didn't have the budget for it uh because there was even Uh supposed to be like creatures that man man, mikey there was like a final boss fight where the jason slug became like a giant hell creature that they fought Ooh. and they took that out there was even like a suit for it and everything you can look it up it's mm-hmm. a weird spiky hell demon looking thing uh they didn't have that for some reason mm. uh i'm assuming it's also because of budget uh- <laughs> <laughs> well that's too bad yeah also the original cut of this movie was like two hours and that's sure. insane to think about <laughs> This movie got chopped and taped and held together with glue 
in a way that I can't even imagine what the original cut of this movie looked like because the cut that we got is also kind yeah. of chaotic and a bunch of scenes just kind of stitched together in a way. There are a lot of like jarring cuts where like you can tell that an actor like uh, I, I think about when Jason takes the guy who works at the diner and like stuffs his head into the oil mm-hmm. and then throws him away. Like there's a quick cut cut where you can tell that that actor is wearing makeup but you never get to see that makeup so i I can see what you're talking about yeah where they might have cut that for Mm -hmm. reasons like with the then i don't know like the nudity and the gore rating that they had to try and get but then yeah there's just other stuff where it's just kind of like this is cut here or this is really weird (laughs) there's a part where steve rescues the daughter uh what's her name i get them all confused Jessica, yeah. And she's, like, screaming and kicking and being like, you just killed my boyfriend after he, like, runs him over with a car because he's possessed by Jason. And they're continuing to go down the road. She's, like, punching and hitting him and eventually, like, makes him get out of the car, mm-hmm. which he does. And then he just, he like, falls over. I can't remember if she, like, hits him on the way out or something. But then he right. just falls and, like, sleeps in the road and then the, like, weird Dudley Do-Right cop, who is his friend, who is another strange cartoon character man, he shows up and is just, like, <laughs> they have a weird wrestle fight. Like, not only did he not move, Steve didn't move from where he was. That other cop, like, gets easily disarmed from his gun. They have a weird wrestle fight where they just, like, and then they end up just sitting, like, mm-hmm. leaning against the car. And then they're like, well, I have a gun. And Steve, I guess, has one. And he's like, and I got a I gun, got a gun, too. too. So then they have, like, this funny little scene. It feels so out of pocket, and, like, I guess these guys are friends somehow. It's never really established, just, like, the way that the cop guy right. interacts with him the entire time. It it implies friendship, but, like, <laughs> nowhere do they say, like, man, I've been, like, sticking up for you since we were kids or something, really. Unless there's some <laughs> offhanded line that I just forgot, because this movie has so many things happening. But, like, yeah, kind of that segment of scenes, and then they go to the police station they feel chopped up in a way where i'm like was there supposed to be something else in between here or there was so much time spent here did other scenes have more time spent on them for some reason that then got cut and so then when we see them it doesn't make as much sense like when they're introing characters or something maybe we had more scenes like that i don't know it's tough and 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 all of that stuff it's like it's kind of basic bare bones like filmmaking incompetence which is not fun. I want to talk to you about some narrative rules incompetence. How do you feel about Jason as a character throughout this entire movie? Kind of doesn't feel like a character at all. I don't really get much of anything from him. I mean, he <laughs> just has the base, like, animalistic desire to survive, I guess. So that's why he's body hopping. It's not necessarily like he's doing anything out of malice in a way where he's like going out of his way i guess although he's like drawn to the teens who are at crystal lake randomly to kill them and then move on so i don't know it feels like all over the place and he's a weird demon slug thing which again i would have liked there to be more information or like scenes about that because that's much more interesting than him just like walking around to me this was my big issues with it and why like again there's so many like little weirdities that like Mm -hmm. engage my imagination about Jason. So first of all, I'm like, it seems that he's aware of his ability to 
body hop, right? He knows yeah. to like he like I mentioned in the plot recap, it's a very not Jasony thing to capture somebody. And so I was mm-hmm. like, what the fuck is going on here? He's not going to do like a saw torture to this guy. But then I was like, oh, wait, he's switching bodies. So the question comes for me, why is he switching bodies here? And I think, I could be wrong, I think it's that he switched bodies because he knew that this cop had a nice little friendship. We had just seen this cop interact with Diana, who Jason knows he has to get to. So it's almost like he realizes he will have a strategic advantage in getting closer to Diana. Otherwise, he might as well continue just being the coroner it is explained but not really through context clues it's that whenever he possesses a body it he's on a ticking clock so he can only be in that body for a limited amount of time before it crumbles into goop really yeah that's why he's trying to get back do they ever say that possess one of the other Voorhees relatives because then he can be reborn properly instead of just hopping from body to body before it crumbles well that's the question do they ever tell us that there's a timer. So I don't know if they actually say it in the movie, but like in descriptions and stuff, like that is the reason. Hmm. So, Because yeah. I could see, like I what I thought was being communicated with that guy turning to goo is that the moment he switches that old also body that. disintegrates. It's, it's, yeah, it's both. It's like once he's sucked up the life energy or whatever to control it, then it turns to goo. But also the bodies are slowly deteriorating while he's possessing them. Uh, which they don't do a good job of visually showing that. At that point, then the question becomes, why isn't he just always body swapping to whoever he's in? Like, whoever is near to him, if it's just always he needs to be body swapping. He does seem to pick people that are close to his victims. Also, it seems clear that Jason knows he needs to kill these Voorheeses. He's aware of this mythology. Yeah, he is somehow. Again, he's some sort of weird hell beast, so maybe he has hell beast knowledge. And I guess supposed to be technically a deadite because of right, the, Necronomicon. the Necronomicon. So it's like implied that Pamela Voorhees used the Necronomicon to bring Jason back, which, by the way, like I said in the summary, it is an official prop. He he asked said uh Raimi if he could use it. Um really? and also the dagger, the dagger is the same thing that it is from Evil Dead. And oh, really? Yeah, that's what the magical dagger is that kills him in the end. So I don't know. He, he was trying to not only make Jason and Freddy fight and canonically be in the same universe as each other, but now also Evil Dead. So Jason also exists in the Evil Dead universe. And then that also makes Freddy exist in the Evil Dead universe <sighs> because they all have to be in the same universe. If they're all in it. <laughs> I do remember hearing the rumor after Freddy versus Jason was that we were going to get Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. Yeah, which I think maybe that's what they were trying to set up or uh, in interviews or like facts I found. It didn't seem that any of the creative team was talking about bringing in Evil Dead, but just now that they existed in the same thing. So I but of course, like that's what you would be theorizing as somebody watching this movie. Like what would be the purpose of doing that unless you were intentionally (laughs) going to do it? But I think maybe when this movie flopped. There is a DC comic series. Oh, is there? Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. Yes. Okay. It could be because this flopped so bad that maybe that's that, why they yeah, never fair. talked about it. Um, but okay, if they did it in a comic series later, <laughs> that's going to be so, insane. Okay. We've got a Jason who is aware of his powers and either is trying to get visages that will make him closer to the people he needs to kill or is aware of his ticking clock and realizes he needs to move. We've also got a Jason who has a certain level of ability to threat assess. 
right? Mm -hmm. He's got Jessica right there. And then the waitress babysitter character comes up and starts shooting a shotgun at him. And he turns his attention to her. So he knows I have to get rid of her before I can kill this lady. I thought it would be very scary if Jason was just like lumbering and whatever was going on around him, it was just keeping him from getting to this Voorhees he wants to kill. Yeah. I don't know. Like, hmm. (laughs) And, oh, oh, and here's another one. Here's another one. In the final um, confrontation at Jason's house, when we have the two police officers and we know one of them is Jason, Mm -hmm. there's an element of deception to Jason's game all of a sudden, where he's like, hey, just give me the gun. So it's like, and that's the first time we hear Jason talk as a possessing agent. Oh, okay. So he could theoretically lure people into his web. Unbelievable. Yeah. Even though, like, he doesn't talk normally, like, even when he's in his own body. So, yeah, he's doing it now. Yeah, it, it's strange because, like, basically what you're saying is it alludes to an intelligence that is then never actually shown on screen. Exactly. Which is, like, w- hugely wasted potential and also mm-hmm. just muddies the waters even further. Like, this movie is so messy. The director yeah. is was 23 at the time and was just, mm-hmm. it's like his first... Or no, technically second, I guess, movie that he had directed. Hmm. And yeah, it it shows in many different ways. And like the fact that they almost didn't put this movie out because they had to <laughs> chop it and screw it in the editing room so much to not only get it down to like a watchable timestamp, but like to try and make it make sense by taking out some stuff. But then it also resulted in this movie which is still a chaotic mess that barely makes sense at the best Mm -hmm. of times it's fine if you can turn your brain off and just be like oh hey they're doing another weird thing again here's another insane thing that they did isn't that interesting like there is some enjoyment to be had when you just kind of let the movie happen in front of you i guess but then like the minute Mm -hmm. you try and think about it and the problem is is that you're trying to make sense of what's happening scene to scene by trying to think about this. It's not like... It's a, it's a super, fool's errand. Yeah, it's not even super complex <laughs> stuff that we're talking about here. Yeah. It's just like a one-to-one thing. We're just like, I can't understand how they didn't fix this in the script stage, uh, let alone to when they were actually spending money and everyone else's time to um, yeah. film this thing. <laughs> so that, that gets us into what we kind of... What you would sort of want out of a Jason Possession movie. Mm-hmm. And... I started thinking a lot about what it would look like from both angles. Either is Jason a lumbering beast who has an objective to kill a specific teenager and therefore whichever body he's in, that's what he's doing. That's very funny to me. Or is it that Jason normally would be a person who could talk and manipulate and think strategically, but because he's so brutally charred and broken and was underwater for 15 years he simply can't so it's like all of a sudden when jason is in a human body that is like full and healthy can he be a character can we see what the character of jason looks like without all the scarring and horror draped upon him and again i like both aspects i think they're both very funny I think we get more personality from him in a movie that we're not even talking about, but kind of mentioned in passing, is the Freddy versus Jason movie. Because you have to then draw the distinction between them, and Freddy is manipulating Jason's trauma in order to control him, so then you Mm -hmm. get shown a little bit more personification (laughs) with him in that way. 
but yeah, the, this movie that is all about him doesn't even show anything like that. And again, making him like this hell beast thing, which like, so it's Jason, the person's heart that then right. the coroner eats and then magical balls of light shoot into his body. And it's not just one. It's like a bunch of them. And These then somehow. Legend of Zelda looking fires. Yeah. <laughs> like, burst out and enter the coroner's chest. Yeah. Yeah. And so. He he acquired it through, like, eating the heart, which he doesn't even eat the whole thing. He just takes, like, a couple of bites. <laughs> and then later, it looks like he's this weird tongue parasite thing, too. So, like, the orbs of light are gone. He's somehow mutated into this <laughs> uh, hell uh, bug, hell slug thing. And then that's the thing. They that's can't moving. even decide moment to moment how this Jason stuff works. There's, yeah. like, no consideration given to it. Yeah, and I think, like, maybe the director just wanted to make an Evil Dead movie, so he was just thinking, like, I'll do whatever weird, wacky shit I feel like doing, and mm. it'll just work. And it's like, no, that that's not really how, it, like, maybe some of the Evil Dead movies will look like that on the surface, but that's not how, what's right. actually happening. It has clear rules, things make sense from scene to scene. Mm-hmm. You have a clear protagonist with, like, a goal. Yes. To, it, to it, like, well, hold all this other evil, stuff together. So there's something to hang your hat on, even if there's, like, the evil dead creatures are doing whatever. Right. I would argue that evil dead operates in kind of, like, a dream logic. Mm-hmm. But even that is a form of logic, right? Like, yeah. we still uh-huh. can kind of track why certain people are becoming deadites. In Evil Dead 2, we get this whole thing where Ash is kind of turning into one, but he's able to cut off his hand. Like, there yeah. are log- there's logical cause and effect, <laughs> which yeah. this movie kind of has uh let me tell you uh so i was just in thinking about the two paths this movie could have taken in a jason possession movie Mm -hmm. uh let me tell you what i'd do with both because i'm very excited about them both all right let's hear it so if we get the story where jason is the only reason jason doesn't talk and strategize is because he's stuck in this big lumbering body that was held under camp crystal lake for 30 years before his mother used the necronomicon to reveal him then I would say we kind of get the same movie we get now, where it's like he's kind of manipulative and he's getting into different bodies. But then at the end, when he finally gets into his sister's vagina and is reborn. God, that scene also, that <laughs> actress didn't know they were going to do that. They didn't use her when filming. That was like a different take that they did after. It, it was an additional I- scene they added. <laughs> When it happened in the theatrical cut, I was like, wait a minute, is that what just happened? And then apparently in the X-rated version, it's a lot more um, specific. Oh. <laughs> There's more than one angle uh, for some Interesting. reason. Which okay. was just like, th- yeah, some fucking 23-year-old dipshit decided that would be a good idea is what it really reads to me. As, yeah. Like, it, it, very bad. Anyway. I, uh, I, I knew I knew it would get us distracted if I said it. Like, as yeah, I was sorry. saying, I was like, Roxy's not going to let this go. There's just <laughs> so many things. My, like, anything. I my silly Jason bit. And I was like, no, we got to talk about the vagina. Okay, so sorry. We can uh, do the silly Jason bit now that we've gotten that out of the way. <laughs> it's gone. It's checked off. Uh, Jason crawls back in the vagina. He's reborn as himself. He almost becomes, Roxy, a model of body positivity. Because my question, when I was thinking about Jason in these other bodies without knowing this ticking clock thing, which I still would argue is not supported by the text. If Jason is functionally the same in all these other bodies, if he kind of goes through an arc where he realizes like, no, I am a lumbering beast with a destroyed head. And that's who I am. And that's who I want to be. Because I was questioning, why is Jason so inclined to be reborn? 
It seems like he's doing the same shit he's been doing as these different people. But I loved the idea of him loving his own body, whatever it may be, loving it enough that he would go through and try to be reborn. I think that's cute. I love that you have given Jason any kind of arc instead of him just being like a plot device for murder. Because that's really all he is. Like, they're not interested in Jason the person. They're not interested in his trauma or anything. Like, none of these movies are. They're just supposed to be like cheap kind of cash grabs. Like, you're here for just like a slasher movie to turn your brain off to see some boobs and blood, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. But I would I would argue that even the worst slasher movie should be taking and I would oh, argue should. that's why it it's should. why Freddy versus Jason is so good because they are finding these these characterful beats where Freddy gets to be Freddy, where Jason gets to be Jason, and we get to see those interact. Can I tell you my other path? The other uh, path real quick. Of, I think it's yeah, just yeah. like his personification is he's just like a beast. It doesn't feel like he has human intelligence in so many ways. Uh, Which is one of the reasons why, like, Freddy can manipulate him in those movies. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, like, that's why it feels like there isn't an arc for him to go through because he isn't a person. He's just kind of like a force of nature or like a beast, like a creature, Mm -hmm. Um, I guess, in that way. Exactly. But that's my other path. Like, if Jason is just a beast and he is becoming... This is the second one? This is the second one, yeah. If we're saying that Jason is just a beast and he gets this single directive and he goes for it, then I want all of these actors not to be playing... They all do okay, the, you know, the cop, the various cops and reporters who play possessed Jasons, but they kind of are just playing it like dull monsters, which I guess is right. If this, we establish that this is a town that is selling two-for-one hockey mask burgers in honor of Jason's death, right? They've Mm -hmm. got the Voorhees burger on their menu. Why is this town not also selling for the tourists who are coming, presumably, to hang out with Jason, why do they not also have stands and stands of super cheap hockey masks everywhere? Mm-hmm. And then we can start to learn what this lumbering beast's relationship is to the hockey mask, because it seems like it's something that, like, or or rather, I would make it, something that he's ashamed of himself. He doesn't okay, like the way he looks, this. so he puts it on. Uh-huh. Why can't, when he becomes a cop, because it's if it's not about strategically getting close to his victims, if it's about him just doing his same thing, he should be putting on these hockey masks. We should be seeing human beings in hockey masks, bumbling all around, just like walking through the fair, <laughs> trying to get to their victim that they want to kill. So there could be a couple reasons for this, Mikey, Uh, one of which is like a disputed fact where the director of this movie says that the creator, like Cunningham, told him, I hate hockey masks. I don't want the hockey mask in the movie. Hmm. If you can do that. And the director is like, he told me that, he said it, and then there's rumors that there is a deleted behind-the-scenes interview where he said this. But then Cunningham later said, I never said that. I never said I hated the hockey mask. And so they they have literally been fighting for years about this plot point, or just like this discussion (laughs) point that they had. Where the director guy's like, yeah, that's why we couldn't really have the hockey mask. And one of the reasons why we came up with the, like, parasite idea was because then we don't have to show the hockey mask because he's possessing people. Interesting. Which is so bizarre when it's like, it's the icon of your slasher. Like, if I see a hockey mask in real life in hockey, I don't think that's a hockey mask. I think that's a Jason mask. Right. You know, and like, even if I wasn't someone who was into horror, I feel like you would see that unless you know about hockey. Like, you would think that. And so, like, I don't... I don't know if that's why we don't see it as much in, like, this context where you're saying where he could have been using it. 
I think that's the director's reason. I don't know if that's the real reason because who knows? One, it's he said, she said, <laughs> nobody knows. Right. But it does, like, that gets me into, like, that's, I think, what my Friday the 13th would be. And I kind of that would be fun to be way more. I would fun. love to do a Friday the Thirteenth that a focuses on bounty hunter Creighton Duke. Yeah, he should have been I the really main like, character instead of stupid fucking Steve and the girl and the baby. This movie cannot decide who its main character it is. Can't. And it literally shifted seven times, and that's one of the reasons why I find them so unlikable. I didn't like a single character in this movie. Just yeah. Duke is like the most interesting, just because he's weird. Uh, yeah. But I don't really like him. Like, he breaks that guy's fingers for no reason, so he's some sort of weird sadist. <laughs> yeah. I really liked Diana, and then she gets killed a scene she later for no real yes. reason. Yeah, like, I could have uh, liked I like, her okay, more. Great. But, yeah, I thought she was going to be the main character. It would have been nice to maybe have a girl who wasn't, like, in her 20s as the main character. That would have been more interesting, especially if she's literally Jason's sister. She just gets killed so easily. That's right. dumb. Jessica is a stooge. Jessica yeah. is like, Mom, I'm so excited for you, my new boyfriend. You're going to know who he is. So even, like, if he wasn't planning to manipulate her to get this story, which obviously he is, uh-huh. even then, she's just, like, more excited to introduce him to his mom because she's dating a celebrity than to be in a relationship. So she's yeah. not likable. Also, she Steve hasn't even sucks. met her granddaughter, I think. And so she's more excited to show her the new boyfriend instead of the granddaughter. Unbelievable. Be- because she apparently just left to go have the baby. It's so weird. <laughs> But yeah, so like, no main character, and none of the characters that we do get are really likable except for the one lady who gets killed off. And like, Duke at yep. least is interesting. He should have been the main character. Yeah. <sighs> have him go through an arc. He has to pro- Like, if Diana gets killed halfway through the movie, and Duke has to process this idea that like, I brought this woman into this, and now I've gotten her killed, and feel guilty, but still like, press on. Yeah, how do you functionally even do what you need to do then? Because she yeah. is supposed to be the one who kills- jason in order for mm-hmm. jason to actually die so losing not only this woman that he brought into there but also just like the only thing the only weapon he had against jason like that would be huge you know Roxy, you, you know what you're describing it's a what good screenwriters do you have entwined <laughs> the internal and external problem <laughs> look at look at us mikey <laughs> give us thought- friday the 13th give us a jason movie we'll co-write a jason movie that'll be the best jason movie you've ever seen At it'll, be it'll be a be really the, good jason movie. it'll be super fun i can't man <laughs> i also thought that at the end uh they would kill jessica and then the only Voorhees left was the baby and they'd have to like put the knife in its hand and like hold its little <laughs> baby hands to get it to kill <laughs> jason that'd be a cool thing to do that would have been much more fun Although then we do get the one tagline, the only mention of hell, the only reason why we know hell is involved whatsoever with this movie, Mm -hmm. when Jessica stabs Jason with the knife from Evil Dead and says, go to hell. Sure. That's it. That's the only... That is cool. (laughs) That's the the other thing. Listen, we need to write a reboot of Jason Goes to Hell because we know to put hell in it. Yes. Holy shit, yeah. (laughs) We know to pick a main character. Uh-huh. And we know to use the fucking hockey mask when you're doing a yes. Jason movie. <laughs> yeah. That's what people want. So actually, the the scene with the campers going to Crystal Lake, Mikey, mm-hmm. one of the most Friday the 13th scenes in that whole movie, didn't exist until after they did a screening and people were like, what is this movie? So like literally <laughs> the Hollywood like producer meddling made it better because they were like, yeah, what is this? We understand yeah. you want to do your own thing, 
guy, but like people also expect some amount of this is a Friday the 13th adjacent <laughs> movie. So here's this one scene that uh, when you know that it does feel kind of like tacked on, but oh, at I, the same time, I, it fits I, way I better than down, so many other scenes. <laughs> I did write down why why is this scene happening? Yeah, just for more we are kills. Just introduced to three new people and then they are killed. And then the story continues. Exactly. <laughs> as, as it had before. Uh, yeah. Very funny. Yeah. But you're, you're right. Like, I love that scene because it's, like, in the pocket. It's Friday the 13th. Also, baby, that, let's see that it. kill, the kill when uh, the teens are having sex and she's oh, literally yeah. split in two is, like, way more graphic in the uh, unrated version, apparently. Oh, really? So, like, we saw a very bridge version and the theatrical version. It is even more over the top and out there. And, like, I guess iconic would maybe be the word for it in the unrated version. That's a kill that stuck with me. I've talked about how I've watched this show or watched this movie a bunch as a kid on TNT. Mm -hmm. And as they were having sex in that way, I was like, oh, is this the movie where that kill happens? Where she gets stabbed Uh through? I remember it being through the chest. But, like... Well, I mean, it's, like it's a, chest and then up. And then up, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's it's a two-beat kill. We get the mm-hmm. stab through, and we're like, and he's like, holy shit! And then we get, it's just so funny that Jason then goes, and rips it up. Yeah. And she falls apart. Yeah. It's very scary. Oh, one other thing about this scene. So these teens are shown not using protection on yes. purpose. And like... They, they hate it. He hates yeah, they go to the rubbers. trouble. The girl is like, come on, we need to do it. And the guy's like, yeah, I don't, whatever. And then, like, she goes to the effort of getting one, brings a condom in, and he just, like, looks at it and is like, meh. And she's like, you know what? It's fine. We don't need it. And then they get killed. And so the director did say, he was like, I wanted to show that it's not that having sex is bad. Having unsafe sex is bad. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's funny. That's what, Jason's even, like, stepping on a condom when, before he goes yes. in to kill them, also. I, I like the idea of them taking this two-hour movie, cutting it down to a, uh, an hour and a half. They cut a half hour out of this movie. And what they do is they go and cut the introductions to characters, and they leave in the, let's go get a condom, I got a condom, I don't want a condom. That's they the ended extra up scene. exactly where they were. <laughs> they yeah. ended up where they were. <laughs> yep yep it's just as incomprehensible as i'm sure the original cut would be but at least it's cut down and th- since that was an extra scene they added mikey that means that they probably cut even more than half an hour from the original of this <laughs> and then also like if you're counting the gore that they cut out just for um mm. like ratings for theatrical versus the uncut like i wonder mm-hmm. how long the uncut version is then so then you can compare the times to be like okay that's just after they edited down the gore and stuff but then so then how much else did they cut out <sighs> unbelievable what a great movie roxy <laughs> do you have anything else you got to say about it before we rate this bad boy oh the soundtrack was very bad um, oh yep bad soundtrack, it, bad the, soundtrack. The, the soundtrack like it was noticeably bad it felt like it was a made for tv movie it made it yeah. feel like that because that's how budget and terrible it was i have sorry to whoever did the soundtrack for this movie but it was god it was awful. my father roxy my father oh. jonathan mcculler senior <laughs> did the soundtrack so it's really fucked up for you to say that um he but should be bad. ashamed it was bad. yeah he's a bad he's a bad person oh okay <laughs> Well, then he got what was coming to him, I guess, for doing the soundtrack to this movie. It's really like, um, see, the plot should be cause and effect 
the story should be cause and effect. The soundtrack shouldn't be cause and effect. It felt like, it was like, because it's a stabbing, it's time for a, like, jump scare music. But, like, it was, it was like no atmosphere. It was just like, what are we seeing? What yeah. is the music for? That's it? why it Very sounded bad. like it was a made-for-TV soundtrack, because it just sounds so basic. Not that TV can't have amazing soundtracks, because it can. But it feels like mm-hmm. a budget way where they're just like, hey, random guy, can you just make a generic kind of vibe soundtrack for this that doesn't really, it's nothing special. Just like, I wouldn't be surprised if he made it in a couple hours, just because that's all they gave him. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, If he told me that, it would make more sense, honestly. Unbelievable. Uh, But yeah, that's that's the last thing I got. All right, let's do it. It must be done. (laughs) Roxy, on a scale from one to five thumbs up. Remember, we have two thumbs up we can give a movie, but we also have a big box of hands that we can use to add extra thumbs. On a scale from one to five thumbs up, how many thumbs up would you give Jason Goes to Hell the final Friday? Uh, so I gave this movie one thumb. So I can use one up. of my thumbs. Yeah, I almost okay. was like 1.5 because like as insane and nonsensical as it is, it wasn't really boring for the most part. Mm-hmm. Like, there's always some insane thing happening, so I was like, maybe it's closer to a 1.5, but then, like, as we've been talking about it, and just, like, how insane it is, and how things <laughs> don't make sense, um, I'm like, I don't think I can even say that anymore. Um, it's not a zero, though. Definitely not mm-hmm. a zero. I'd say it, it is a one, and if you like slasher movies and you haven't seen this, you should watch it, despite how much we've been raking it across the coals. Um, it's unique <laughs> in that way, with how weird it is. Yeah. So I can appreciate that at least. So what what did you give it, Mikey? I can't believe I'm about to give it the score, Roxy. Oh no. Okay. I am giving it I am giving Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday, 3.9 thumbs up what? out of five. Okay. <laughs> because Roxy, I have to tell you, I had just about four thumbs up worth of fun with this movie. Okay. Like, I was just, I was just enamored by it. I thought it was so silly. And, and as you can tell, like, it activated my imagination. I was thinking about different yeah. things. Uh, I love a lot of it. It's not a good movie. It is <laughs> a bad movie, in fact. And uh-huh. so that's why I was like, it's four thumbs worth of fun, but it simply cannot have four thumbs up. It simply cannot. Yeah. So 3.9 is me communicating to the best of my ability that for me, this was a very, very fun movie that sucked. And I think that there's something to be said about that. Also, like, I don't know if we went into this too much, but this is like a big childhood movie for you, right? Like, it has That's true. importance to you specifically. Do you want to talk about that for a bit? Um. Well, it might be the first scary movie I ever saw. There's really? a good okay. possibility that this was the first, like, horror movie. Because again, Even before this Child's movie- Play? littered TNT, yes. Child's Play was certainly the first one I fell in love with, but this was certainly, uh, eventually, when I saw it not on TV, this was certainly some of the first boobs I ever saw. That's huge. Oh, okay. This was, like, this idea that, like, I could kind of tune in, and because this movie is so all over the place, it kind of becomes the perfect TV movie. Yeah, especially if you're jumping into it. Exactly, yeah. You can just watch a scene and be like, well, this is a cool scene. We got a bounty hunter and Jason seems to be a reporter. And cool, great. Like, you don't need to have tracked what has been going on in the story to understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was always on, I want to say, Joe Bob Briggs's Monster Vision. I could be oh. conflating that with other movies. I don't know if this, I don't remember him specifically talking about this movie. But certainly my introduction to horror movies was finding... Joe Bob Briggs on late at night and talking and kind of like riffing on him. 
Okay. Doing kill count, doing boobs counts, like just having fun with like the stupidness of (laughs) horror movies and like their tropes. Uh, Mm -hmm. So yeah, this movie is a big introduction. And also because it has two scenes that are very specifically designed to be tropic Friday the 13th scenes, like it kind of is a good introduction. I take that back. It's a horrible introduction to Friday the 13th. Mm -hmm. It is a good way for if, if you were going to watch it, you would have... Two scenes that back, more or less back to back, explain to you what to expect from the best scenes from a Friday the 13th movie. I think it's a lot of fun in that sense. I I like to think, like, because I didn't really remember a bunch of parts from this movie. I remembered Freddy at the end. I remembered the girl being on top and getting stabbed and then sliced. And I remembered uh, the coroner eating the heart. Those are the moments that I remembered. Everything else was pretty much new, including... The characters. <laughs> like, I, I I didn't remember Steve and Diana. Like, I was introduced to them again. So that's me trying to say I am hoping that it is not me saying, like, I love this movie as a kid and therefore I continue to love it today. I think I would have loved it today if I saw it for the first time. But I don't know. And also, who cares? Even if it was just that I saw it as a kid and loved it, that'd be fine, too. Yeah, no, and I think that's interesting that you have a connection to that, because, like, not every movie that we do for this podcast we have some sort of previous connection to. Lots of times we're watching it for the first time, or, you know, mm-hmm. you, we've seen it relatively recently where it's not, like, foundational in when you're growing up in right, that way. yeah. This movie taught me about safe sex. Yeah, yeah, it did. Wow, what a great message. We- what a great <laughs> movie. <laughs> We said they should have cut that scene, and the fact that there is not a Michael McCuller Jr. running around uh, really tells us it was a vital this scene. Movie. <laughs> Roxy, do you have a question? I do. So, Jason possesses people in this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. So, my question to you, Mikey, is who is the last person you want Jason to possess? Yeah, 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 yeah. My answer to this is actor Michael Shannon. Okay. Uh-huh. You might remember him from Boardwalk Empire as the Prohibition agent. He plays General Zod in Man of Steel. He is the kind of actor who has this sort of vacant stare that always presents as menacing. He's a great mm-hmm. actor. He's one of yeah. the greatest actors I've seen. I love him very much. He's usually a villain in any role that he does, or like a not good guy anyway. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Because there's something lumbering and vacant about him. So, if he was possessed by Jason... You wouldn't know it. <laughs> you'd, think, you'd think he was just regular old Michael Shannon. <laughs> so he's the most deceptive, I see. Exactly. He's he's hanging out with me, like, and be like, hey, Michael Shannon, do you want to, let's just Which hop on a plane often. and go to Vegas. And yeah. then all of a sudden I'm on an airplane with Jason Voorhees. That's not good. And then he stabs you to death and then the pilot and then it crashes, I guess. But then exactly. that's another coroner, so he's fine. But you and Michael yeah, Shannon exactly. and that pilot are dead, so. No skin off his nose. <laughs> Who do you think would be the worst person to become a Jason? So I chose not a person, but a creature. I chose my cat. Because mm. that would be really sad, because I don't want to fight my cat. And as sure. we know, whoever Jason possesses, they're going to turn to goo eventually. And I don't want that for my cat. I hear that. So not only can I not fight him, uh, he's just like done once Jason's done that. So uh, I would be very sad and paralyzed by fear. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it's and it's your cat specifically. Yes, right. my be... my cat specifically. I mean, if it was any cat, honestly, it would be hard for me to do it. But particularly my cat because I get he's cute and wonderful. And how dare Jason hurt him? <laughs> the difference between our two answers are the difference between uh, 
having love in your life and not. Roxy, last week we made a bet. <laughs> we wondered what would be the timestamp of the first kill in Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday. Mm-hmm. I said it would happen four minutes in. What did you say? Uh, I was hoping this would be more off the walls bananas. So I said 30 seconds. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, that didn't happen. I was thinking about your bet when we were watching. I was like, damn, it would have to be like the first shot. <laughs> like, Even That's- if it was like an early kill, it would have to be because we'd have to meet the character and see them. Well, the thing you know. is, I think I was also basing it off of having seen Jason X, which is the one where he goes to space, which is very off the wall. And I think that hmm. basically the first kill happens like within oh, the first really? 30 seconds or so. So I was like, this movie has an even crazier title. It must be crazier than that movie, right? <laughs> so sure, 30 seconds, but no. Yeah. So we've got a couple of potential answers for this. Okay. Hit me. Um, in any event, I'm going to win this. So. Yes. Mikey the score still is. Uh, Mikey wins. Roxy with 44. Mikey with 34. Ty with four. couple of potential answers. You tell me what you think it is. I okay. would argue. So first of all, we've got seven minutes in is when Jason dies. That yeah. opening sequence is seven minutes long. And I think like his heart right. stops and then starts later. So I think he right. does die even if he comes back. So I'd say so we, you were pretty close with that. We could say that. In at 1457, the mortician eats the heart. Okay. And it could be argued that that is when that character dies. And that is a character who yeah. dies and is never seen again. Yeah. But because he continues to walk around and is kind of Jason- Great question. Is he dead or not? The mm-hmm. first confirmed, like, he's no possessed, ifs, ands, not- or buffs. Not necessarily dead. Like, I guess, like, his soul is maybe dead or something, but exactly, his body's still right. going around. His, so, yeah. Th- that character is gone, but mm-hmm. we never see his body decay. That's that's why, like, if we had seen his body decay, I'd be like, okay, got it. It's a timer. The official well, they kill. They sort of show him looking rough, but that could just be because he looks more like Jason, who also looks rough. And, like, yeah, he's just, weird, he's just so. sleepy. He's a sleepy little guy. Anyway, uh, sorry. At 1642, the coroner kills his assistant mortuary guy. Okay, so the first, like, victim, victim. yeah. Yes. So we've got three potential answers. Seven minutes, 1457, 1642. 1642 is when we get a character who is killed and is gone. Okay. Yep. God bless. Well, you win, Mikey. Woo-woo. Great job, me. (laughs) Oh, boy, it's a demon bot here. Okay, new new movie. (laughs) Please tell me it's not Jason X. I don't think I can do it. God, I'd love to watch Jason X. <laughs> I kind of do, actually. Congratulations. You have successfully reviewed Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday. Your souls are safe for another week. For next week, you must watch the 80s-tastic glam vampire movie The Lost Boys. Okay, we got a little Lost Boys on, Roxy. Yeah, okay, somehow I have never seen this movie, but I've seen, like, trailers or scenes, so I know some vague things, but I don't understand how I have not seen this movie yet, so I'm actually yeah. very excited to see this. Me too. I've also not seen it. So this is the first time Keeper for both of us. Sutherland as a vampire? That's all yeah. I know. As an adult, he's 24. But in this, he's maybe eight. Because of the show 24? You think that's his right. age? Not, uh... Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> isn't <laughs> that's that show, 24, Isn't me. that show titles... Isn't that show's title his age? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Every uh, thing that has a title that has a number in it, Mikey, is the age of the main character. You got it Yeah, right. that sounds right. I, I remember, uh... Jim Carrey playing a 23-year-old in The Number 23. And uh, how about... Why he was so obsessed with it? Because it was his age. How about the immortal Abraham Lincoln in 1776? So he's 1,776 years old, Mikey. I don't know if that's a movie or not. 
It's a good, it it's is a now. Great, good thing to find out. <laughs> Roxy, we got to make a bet about the Lost Boys. You got right. a bet for me? Yeah. How about how many Lost Boys are there? How many How many boys mm. are in the Lost Boys crew? I don't know how we're going to judge this by metrics. I guess we'll find out when we watch <laughs> the movie. Yeah, um, is it going to be like in Avengers Endgame when they're like, Peter Parker's kind of in the Avengers, but it's sort of a joke? You know, yeah, we'll I think they're out. like a, a gang of Lost Boys, so I don't know. Whoever's in the gang, maybe. Great. <laughs> we'll figure it out. I'll say there will be six Lost Boys. Okay, I'm going to double it up because why not? I'm going to say 12 Lost Boys. Great. Roxy, we've been talking about a lot of scary things this episode. Possession. Jason's. Bad screenwriting. <laughs> Let's end by talking about something that's making us happy. What's brought a smile to your face this week? Uh, so the thing that brought a smile to my face this week is a collectible that I acquired that I'm going to unwrap and show you, Mikey. Everybody else gets to hear the bubble oh, wrap. Um, <sighs> so as you know, the Resident Evil Special Editions that GameStop has in really limited quantities because they're dumbasses and don't like money and don't <laughs> like giving things to people. They have like Figures of the main characters that you play as. So, like, the uh -huh. Resident Evil 2 one only has one of Leon, not one of Claire. The Resident Evil 3 one has one of Jill, not Carlos. Um, so I found a Etsy creator who makes <sighs> companion statues for the other characters. Oh, my God. And he recently did, like, a remade Carlos head sculpt that looks, like, great. So I finally pulled the trigger Whoa. on this thing I've been watching for literal years at this point. So I now have a Carlos companion figure to go with the Jill I got for Resident Evil 3. And this was also a test to be like, if his stuff is really good, then I'm going to get the Claire to go with Leon. So now I'm oh going to save God. up to get the Claire. So I'll have my Resident Evil 3 and Resident Evil 2 crew. Yeah, look at him. This is incredible. That looks great. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh my God, that looks exactly like Carlos. Yeah, the only problem is I don't have like a base to put him on. So I'm going oh, sure. to have to figure out something for that. But he's kind of standing like a like a he's got a little Ken doll sort of legs splayed out. Like it feels like you could balance him, but like you'd have to make yeah, like he actually he actually stands on his own, but I'm too scared to have him stand. Mm. Um, and also just like the bases for these special editions are like an inch thick. And, like, mm. huge, like, wide circles, so I'll want to get something so he can <laughs> just stand next to Jill and Leon and look not weird. Hell yeah. Uh, what's the name of this creator? Uh, let me look it up. I will say that he has made so many other characters as well. Like, there's a Nikolai that he made. The rest of the crew, the U.S. Fuck, USBC? What, what is that? What is their organization, U Mikey? Um, yeah, it's UBSC, maybe? I'm... No way I used to know this, but I think my brain is fried from everything we've been doing today. Oh, here we go. I found it. It is uh, Raccoon City Surplus. Does that yes, sound right? Yes, this is the name of this. Uh... Yeah, see, like he came with a, he's shown displayed with a stand, so I'll have to contact them. But yeah, uh, Raccoon City Surplus is the name of the creator. Uh, they did a Resident Evil 4 remake Leon recently. There's also like OG Wesker, OG Krauser. A nemesis, like basically every every character. He's even got like a Marvin character or wow. like sculpt. Um, this is cool. Yeah, he he does rad stuff, and I'd seen some other like fans purchase some of his uh, creations before. So I was like, "Am I going to pull the trigger on this?" <laughs> and I got a little uh, discount coupon from Etsy, and was like, "Oh, okay, okay I I'm just going to do it." <laughs> you got to so do did, it, and uh, that has been making my week. So, fuck yeah. Yay. I love this. 
And I will send you a pic once I get, once, whenever I can afford the Claire one. It'll be a bit, but I'm very excited <laughs> to complete the set. Uh, what yeah. about you, Mikey? What's, what's making you happy this week? Roxy, what's making me happy this week is certain episodes of a TV show that I can't tell if I want to recommend to you or not. Have you watched okay. Yellow Jackets? I have not. I think I've heard this name before, but I have no idea, no even vague concept of what this show is. Um, I didn't either. I kept hearing about it in connection to Lost, which is my favorite television show of all time. Oh. It is about a team of high school girls on a soccer team who are flying to state, and okay. their plane goes down in the woods, and there might be something supernatural. Um, but it is a it is Lost if it was much more horror-twinged. Okay, and interesting. A lot, it's very scary. It's really, it, it gets pretty gory. In okay. a lot of ways, and they so it's all... like a horror show, like horror mystery. Would you say? Y- yes, it's like it's a mystery. It's a horror show. But here's here's why I'm saying only specific episodes. Oh, okay. The first episode is awesome. Okay, it's a ten episode first season, and season two just began. There's been one episode of season two. The fact that it's that selective with your recommendation, though, I'm kind of dreading the cons of this. <laughs> why I should avoid certain episodes. Well, that's the thing. That's why I don't know if I want to recommend it. I okay. don't think you can avoid any episodes, but I have never hated any more episodes of TV more than I hated episodes two through eight of Yellow Jackets. Oh my God, that's most of the entire show, Mikey. I know. I know. Okay. And it was one of those things where like, I'm watching episode seven. I'm like, what am I still doing? I hate mm-hmm. this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the sunk cost fallacy. I was like, I've already put in so much time. I got to just keep going. Well, also sometimes with the with the, a mystery show, even if I start hating it, I'm like, well, I just need closure. I need to mm-hmm. know what the fuck it is. Um, and yeah. lots of times you are just left with a hook for the next season, which <laughs> I you'd think by now I'd learn. But yeah, I do the exact <laughs> same thing with mystery shows anyway. It's easier to drop I- other types of shows. This uh, Yellow Jackets is a show that's kind of like in the zeitgeist and was really beloved and a lot of people liked it. And really? I knew okay. a lot of people who I'm liked it. I yeah, don't and know about this. Okay. The first episode is awesome. Episodes okay. two through seven, I was almost embarrassed to be watching. Oh, no. That's very episode sad. Episode eight Can you sucks. explain why exactly? They've, they've got, it's on Showtime and it's a very Showtime-y show. The characters oh. all kind of sound the same. They're all kind of talking in, in sarcastic quips. Oh, but God. it's all building to Joss a moment Whedon, that happens. I feel like Joss Whedon influenced yeah. a generation of writers who just like can't get that out of their brain where it's like it worked for the time with Joss Whedon stuff with him doing yes. it. It doesn't work when every fucking person does that now. Please stop. I would I would love to be done with it. Me it's too. very embarrassing. <laughs> and the show still does that. But the moments they're building to that end episode eight and episode nine and ten are some of the coolest and funniest and scariest things I've ever seen on TV. Really? Season two, episode one is pretty fun. They okay. do some big moves that are like, and, and it was So the second weird. season, like may- maybe just after episode eight onwards, like season two, however much you've watched, does that hold up as something I just, worth I've just watched the one episode. The only, oh, okay. There's only been one episode in season two, and gotcha. it was a pretty pretty good one. But, like, the things that happen in episode nine specifically is some of the coolest and scariest and best shit I've ever seen on TV. It was the first time the sunk cost fallacy did not steer me wrong. I was just like, thank God I kept watching this. It was so worth it. That's awesome. Episode nine. It's The, the episode is called uh, Doom's Coming. <laughs> okay. 
All right. Uh, because I'm these intrigued. high school girls are having a homecoming dance, but it's they're like, we're probably going to die out here. So it's our doom's coming. And the things that happen at doom's coming fucking rule. It's, it like pr- pays off a lot of the promise of the pilot that like the pilot opens with like a flash forward that is like, oh, God, oh, this is where okay. we're heading. And so Man, it's like sometimes it's the first that step drives me that. nuts. Yeah. Like, I usually don't like that device. Yeah, me I, either. I usually can't stand it. And not because it's like spoilers, but it's like that's the coolest part. So now I just have to sit through a bunch of boring shit until we get to the cool mm-hmm. part is what you're saying to me. Right. So, yeah, that's that's unfortunate that they started this way. But I'm glad to hear that they kind of pay that off in some way. So. Yeah. It, like once we start getting into what that pilot is about, it's like, baby. I'm here for it. I'm ready for you. <laughs> it's very cool. So yellow jackets, that is what's making me happy. Most of yellow jackets. You, you know what this has started though, Mikey? Mm. Now every time you get into a sunk cost fallacy situation, you're going to be like, but maybe it'll pay off like yellow jackets. I know. So maybe I'll keep doing it. Yeah. Maybe I'll download Marvel Snap again. This is the exception that proves the rule that is going to make it so that I uh, literally live in a, a falling apart house that I think someday I'm going to get my money out of it. Not ideal. Sorry, we're supposed to be talking about happy things. Uh, I was thinking more like you'll just download Marvel Snap again, but uh, you could just die in a hovel because you don't want to. Gonna, I'm probably going to die in a bad home. <laughs> Playing Marvel Snap. Roxy, it's time now for Haunted Plugs. First of all, make sure to follow Scary Basement on Twitter at Scary underscore Basement and on Instagram at Scary Basement Pod. Roxy, where can people find you on the internet? I am on Twitter as Red Mage Roxy, and I'm on Twitch as Red Mage Roxy as well, where I stream three days a week, every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. Hell yeah. Me, Mikey McCaller, I'm on Twitter at SecretBlimp and on Twitch at twitch.tv slash SecretBlimp. Also, make sure to give the Scary Basement podcast five stars on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, please leave us a review. That really helps us out. Another way you can show your support is by checking out the Patreon for our podcast network, Super NPC. Sign up at patreon.com slash super NPC radio and you can get bonus episodes of Scary Basement covering horror video games, <laughs> as well as episodes of Super NPC radio that Mikey and I host every month. In addition, you will have access to the years and years of content from the rest of our network's video game loving friends over at Super NPC. Finally, don't forget to share and scare this podcast with your friends. And as always, do not sign any contracts offered to you by demon robots. See you next week. Mm-hmm.